Hey guys, and thank you so much for tuning in to the Death to Vanilla podcast, where we talk about courageously creating, boldly innovating, and experimenting. And incredible guest on the show today, Gabby Cardoza. Now, Gabby is a brand and marketing consultant. She has worked in the industry for years, and this is the best part. Well, there's really two things that are best, the best part, right? Which is one is that she is formally educated. She has a master's degree in this subject area. And on top of that, she is um, almost like a, like a globalist uh, branding person, right? In the sense that she works across country borders. Um, she actually started working in Boston, and then moved to Spain and has been working in Latin America and the U.S. and Spain and Europe uh, this whole time. And so she does an incredible job of walking uh, us, you guys, through what it's like to work with people who have completely different cultures, completely different ways of looking at things. She talks about what it's like to work with the U.S. and how far they're pushing the boundaries uh, away from traditional and what they're willing to actually put out in an advertisement, as well as what it's like to work in, say, like a Spain or Latin America, where the morality and the way that they do advertising is far more traditional. But at the same time, people use the tools that we use, like Instagram and TikTok and Facebook, differently in other places. And just to get her viewpoint on that was incredible. So I think you guys are absolutely going to love the podcast. And um, as far as some housekeeping things, uh, it would be amazing if you guys would go uh, rate the podcast, give it five stars. So that way, this podcast, especially if you enjoy it, can get found by more people. Because let's be honest, there is like a million podcasts. And so you giving it a rating helps it pop up a little bit higher in those search queries so that people who are looking for an amazing uh, marketing business podcast can actually find this. And so for those of you that have, thank you so much. It means the world to me. And uh, that'd be really, really helpful. So especially for those of you who are uh, listening maybe for the second, third or fourth time, maybe more, uh, if you could share this with a couple people, that would be huge. We are making a huge push to get to a thousand listens. So right now we're like 700 something. And so uh, you being able to help us get that final landmark push would be so helpful. So thank you so much for doing that. And without further ado, let's listen to the interview that I did with Gabby Cardoza. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Death to Vanilla podcast. Um, I have Gabby on today's interview and i'm so excited to have her on um spoiler alert we recorded this at the end so we already had a good time and <laughs> now you get to enjoy it so she is a branding and marketing consultant she has worked all over she currently works all over from latin america mexico united states spain and so you just have a ton of experience and so i'm excited to jump in and uh have a good interview. So <laughs> go ahead and just give yourself a, a pat yourself on the back a little bit. Tell us about yourself and uh, brag a little bit. Sure. So my name is Gabriela Cardoza. I am a personal and corporate brand consultant. I also dabble in marketing and social media. Um, I am currently working in Europe, in the US and in Latin America. Um, so I have a background in political communication and then migrated over into design, visual and digital media. 
Um, and that's how I ended up in branding, marketing, and social. <laughs> Sweet. Right. It's almost like communication is just so widespread and necessary. Absolutely. What a crazy Absolutely. idea. So the thing, so there's a couple things that really popped in my head that I love for us to explore that you just talked about. And one is that I love this idea. And if you could maybe explain if that was something you were already good at and then just got better maybe, or if it's something you had to learn, which is this idea of taking everyone on kind of an individual basis, right? So in America, we have we still have a wide range of cultures, right? But we kind of assume that everyone's kind of on the same page. Right. Everyone is probably going to use Instagram in a similar fashion or Facebook in a similar fashion. So you're obviously, when you're talking to someone, you're really discovering a lot of things for the first time in their own unique way. How do you navigate that? Is that something that's been hard to learn or did that something that came natural? It is. So I think it's a little bit of both. I think I've, I had sort of the benefit of one being raised with, you know, the duality of like being Latin American, growing up in the U.S., um, having family in Europe, having family in Latin America. So definitely there was like a, a predisposition to be, you know, somewhat more cognizant of these differences and, and how people use them. At the same time, I think a lot of it is trial and error. So um initially when I first started working with clients specifically in Latin America Europe a little less because I did go to school here so I feel like I was pretty much immersed in that sort of culture and understanding how you know there's different there's even different platforms here in Spain that Mm. they've used that there aren't being used in the U.S. like very like um there's a platform that's sort of like Facebook MySpace but for Spain specifically for example that's wild um yeah it's crazy (laughs) and so like I feel like once you sort of start thinking and and being able to place yourself in the position of like, I have so much more to learn. I think that that's so, so critical in just anything that you do, whether you're like a marketer or you're in branding, the idea of being a lifelong learner is so important. Um, So being able to remove yourself and, and sort of take a step back and observe, just observe how people are using the tools, how people are communicating with one another communicating with their audiences, so internally and externally. And I feel like you can learn so much from that, that then you can go in and be like, okay, well, I know that this is sort of what's culturally expected or what best practices there are in this specific country or in this specific region. And once you sort of start doing that, there's a lot of sort of um, self-exploration too. So you have to be able to take what you know and then go home and practice, right? So it's like, oh, I'm going to, I heard about this thing. I'm going to go home and Google it (laughs) and play around with it and figure out how people are using it. Um, And it's interesting. I think in the U.S., and you mentioned that, which I think is really interesting. I think the U.S. is definitely a melting pot, right? So there's people from all over, but we're still sort of um, have things that unify us, right? So like core values that are cultural values that we all sort of practice or at least are cognizant of. Sure. Um, and, And when you leave, and you sort of are exposed to different ones, you realize just how much there is left to learn. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's an interesting experience, at least it has been for me. I feel like it's been eye-opening and it's also caused me to sort of reevaluate even when I was working in the US of like, oh, well, you know what? Now I know that in Latin America it's being used like this. Could we maybe take that mm. and do that here? Right. Um, so it like works both ways. I feel like you can pull a lot from different cultures and then use them 
you know, bring it back home with you or bring it somewhere else and figure out how you can apply it there. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of what you're talking about is behind the scenes research. Like you said, going home, downloading the app, playing with it, seeing how things are working. Do you find yourself constantly asking certain questions that help you discover those things? Like, let's say, for example, we're talking to uh, someone who is, you know, a chief operating or a chief marketing officer for a company here in the States. Mm -hmm. uh, And they're trying to discover their audience. Has there been ones that the questions that you have found yourself asking over and over again that help you discover how people are really working? Yeah. So I think that's a good question. And like, again, so I work more in the branding side. Sure. For me, it's more of my initial questions. I always have ones that I ask across the board, no matter where I'm working, whether it's in the US or Europe, Latin America, wherever I am. Um, I always start off by asking people, if your brand was a person, what kind of person would they be? I love that. And it's so out of, yeah, it's so out of the box that people are like, you're crazy. (laughs) And oftentimes they'll sort of sit there and give me sort of generic answers like, oh, it'd be friendly or it'd be accessible. And I'm like, no, no, no. I want to know like what they would dress like, what they would sound like, what kind of like music would they listen to or yes, (laughs) um, how would they behave, right? So it's it's the most out of the box thing. And I feel like one, it's a great way to sort of break down the barrier of, oh, we're doing something serious right now. Like we need to think and we can only think about it the way we've been thinking about it, right? So super rigid in terms of like, oh, this is how we've always done it. Or this is how we lo- are looking to do it. It's like, no, get rid of that. Think think creatively, right? So what is it that you would like it to be like? And once you sort of get an idea that tells you a lot about one, what they're looking for, but also how they behave in terms of organizational culture, um, how they communicate within one another, how they see their audience or how they see themselves wanting to interact with their audience. And I think that is sort of like that icebreaker. And that's that's one that I always constantly use. And then after that, I'll often just have them sit and reflect for a while individually. Right. Um, I think once you start getting into groupthink, it can be really difficult to break out of it. Um, but if you just give people homework, which I know that no one likes homework, but... <laughs> If you send them home and you're like, you know, just think about it and just write like a couple of like, you know, words that you would want the brand to sound like or that you would want the brand to present itself as. You get so many different ideas versus if you sit in a room and ask everybody to think like on the spot. Um, so those are like sort of the, the two that I always use no matter where I am. I love that. I love that. So from like a marketing end, so there's so many places to go with this. So I'm so glad you brought that up. (laughs) I constantly find myself going back to the human model for everything. So for example, in marketing, uh, the the way I explain it is you would not, if if a stranger came up to you and asked to borrow your car keys because they needed to get somewhere, the answer would be no. Unless, like, you're my wife, who would just help anyone uh, probably drive them somewhere. And so, but you would let your friend borrow your keys, right? So trust has been built. um, But everyone knows that no one's going to just like, oh, yeah, here, take my car. At the same, but at the same time, the messaging of the marketing is always like, hey, buy this product. And it's like, well, they don't know you. 
would right. you how how why how are those different you know what i mean like you don't go right. on a date and marry someone i mean maybe some people do <laughs> but a vast majority of people you know you just like don't. love at first sight yeah yeah first of all don't and second of all shame on you but no uh so you know you, but you know people don't go on a first date and then get married and, and granted buying a t-shirt is by no means a similar <laughs> commitment but it's just that it's that same idea like this doesn't ever happen right. in real life so why does it happen right. in marketing life and i feel right. in the same way that makes so much sense for market right. or sorry for branding it is does, this idea yeah. of like looking at it as a human being and you're right like right. what music do they listen to what's their favorite color what pants do they wear blah 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 because i think right. at the end of the day that suggestion that you had begins to reveal the difference between how they view their brand and how that lines up with their customer because mm -hmm. if them as a brand wears uh you know converse has a hat on backwards and is listening to <laughs> punk music but their ideal market is wearing a suit right. and tie we've got a problem <laughs> right exactly exactly and it's 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 about people at the yeah. end of the day marketing branding communications in general um even the creative industries like it's about people and and once you understand that empathy and and understanding um and having like this, a solid understanding of human behavior. Once you understand that, I think that unlocks so much potential in terms of like in thinking creatively, in terms of ideating, in terms of innovating, in terms of creating products or services. Once you understand your audience um, and also sort of how you plan to relate to them, I think that that's like the, the stepping stone. That's sort of like the corner, the, the core of it all. So I agree. I'm I'm with you on that. And right. I'm also not not marrying someone. <laughs> right. <laughs> the first date. Probably not a good idea. No, not at all. No. Um, yeah. I, I knew my wife for years and wanted her to marry her really bad. And we still did not get married after the first date. So there you go. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> um, so the idea of death vanilla is this idea that you don't want to either have a brand right? Since mm -hmm. that's really your central mm -hmm. area of experience. And you certainly don't want to have marketing that just blends in with everything else, right? It's just kind of vanilla. Like right. it's, it doesn't get people excited. It doesn't turn people away. It needs to stand out a little bit in some way. So you were mm -hmm. talking about in Latin America, how traditional they are. Do you mean like, um, like traditional and like an, like a social Socially. sense or yeah. traditional in the sense of how they do media or both? both okay both and i think i think when you realize it's sort of like when you step into other markets you realize that the u.s sort of is sort of pushing the boundaries and often at the forefront of digital the digital space mm -hmm. um and so a lot of the times they have the same technology and perhaps it's taking longer for them to adopt it or to utilize it the same way that the u.s is doing at least um so i, I think that's one the other thing too is just sort of historically um everything from gender roles to um, organizational hierarchy, the way people communicate between themselves is still very much traditional and it's changing. And we're seeing that in certain countries that they are sort of starting to push the boundaries and, and push back a bit more, mm -hmm. um, but it is happening slower, it's <clears throat> happening at a slower rate. Right. So I feel like that's definitely, it comes into, in, into play, right? You right. have to figure out one is it tells you a lot about the people you're hoping to reach 
from a marketing or from a branding standpoint. Right. Um, but it also tells you internally sort of what you can expect um, in terms of how much freedom you'll have doing certain amount of things or how creative you can be. Right. Um, and of course, obviously the industry also plays a role depending on, on what industry you're working in. Totally. Well, like for example, so the, like the thing I'm thinking of is, and I'd love for you to find like uh, some sort of like lower uh, offensive uh, comparison. But the, the, the thing I think about is like, you have like your beer industry, right? And then you have uh, arrogant bastard ale, right? <laughs> There's literally a swear word in the title. And the tagline is you are not worthy. Talk about bold, right? right. But I'm guessing something like that isn't going to be a real big hit in Latin America. Because <laughs> If you know, if traditional, like if this is your traditional, right. it's up here somewhere, which works when the bottom's there. And right. so my question is, how do you gauge where that line is? Let, let me back up. <laughs> how do you tactfully stand out in a traditional market? Heavy question. I think you have to... I always, so this is something I was actually speaking about with somebody else um, recently. And it's, you have to sort of set the parameters of, of and, and of course, sometimes you, you set them yourself, but again, sometimes it's just culturally, it's been set for you of what's accepted or what's <clears throat> perceived as sort of normal or the standard. But then within those parameters, you have to be able to take risks. Mm -hmm. And it's all about taking calculated risks whether that's with the language that you use, whether that's with the creative, the visuals that you're using. Um, and of course, you know, I feel like for me, at least the way I see it is you have to be able to push those boundaries, even if you get pushed back. So of course, not everybody's going to jump on board. Um, before working specifically in branding, I was in politics. So I, can, <laughs> I know that that's also very much like a, a, a very structured, very much rigid in terms of its framework and the way that they they run things but for example we at that point in time that was circa 2012 i want to say i don't even know um there was a party that was coming out that was using pink as their color and their branding and that was political party and at that point in time people were like whoa <laughs> wait a second uh i've never seen that before like that yeah. doesn't read as professional like what is this and again, it was contextualizing, okay, well, let's look at it from a, a purely like branding standpoint of why they're doing that, why they want to stand out. And it's realizing that it was very much a bipartisan like system. Um, there was two main parties that were sort of standard and, and the go-tos. Um, and this party was smaller and it was coming and it wanted to be bold and it wanted to stand out and it wanted to appeal to people who didn't feel like they fit in, in the, in the you know, professional dark blue or in the black that yeah. <laughs> it was like, I want to be somewhere in the middle. Yeah. And once you start sort of understanding the mentality of what goes um, or what's happening behind the scenes of why they're choosing to do that or why they're choosing to stand out, I feel like that pushback almost becomes sort of an initiative to continue uh, moving forward. So it's almost like utilizing that like feedback to just keep pushing until it sort of becomes more, more accepted. Um, and again, I think it depends on 
on sort of how comfortably you're sitting in terms of like resources and support. You can't always just sort of <laughs> sure. throw everything caution to the wind and just be like, I'm doing it. Yeah. Right. Um, Too but big to when fail. When you are given more flexibility, it's great. <laughs> so, so for example, like a, a person who's like a marketing or brand director, right, is going to have on some level, their job at risk, depending on you know what just choices they make, especially if they're about to train wreck a whole brand. So, in the example of the pink, right, you're going to get pushback, but I suppose they need to know whose pushback matters and whose doesn't, right? Because right. if you are or black or blue, you would right. get pushback because it doesn't fit into those things. Absolutely. But then how do you how do you find out what the right pushback is? Because obviously the people in the middle, the, the people in the pink, right? right. It's exactly the message they want to hear. So there wouldn't right. be any pushback. There would actually be a wild acceptance. And so how does right. a brand figure that out? Do they just really hone in on who their audience is? So that way they know like, hey, if those people complain, we don't care. If they do, we care a lot. Right. Well, I think I think it starts off and I think that Understanding your branding at, at the root of it all, it's understanding who you are, what you do, and what you stand for. And once you're able to successfully define what your unique value is and who's going to benefit from that value, that gives you a sense of sort of the direction that you should be pushing in. Those are the types of people that are going to, you know, that you're trying to reach or that you are um, trying to motivate to do X, Y, and Z. Those are the people that are going to sort of fulfill your purpose or, or be the recipients of whatever it is that you're offering them. And once you sort of realize that and sort of define where you're going, it's easier to then differentiate between, oh, this is something that is positive feedback like or constructive feedback, or this is something that is essentially just another motivator to continue pushing forward. Um, and I think that that's something that both corporate and personal brands sort of need to understand that not every ounce of, of hate, you, your, your brand can't stand for everybody, right? So it, it's never going to be, uh, it's never going to be a one size fits all and everyone's going to love it. <laughs> Some people's whole existence is hating you know? on other people. So exactly. <clears throat> right. And it's just about utilizing that as, as sort of drive, right. As fuel to, to continue doing what you do. hundred percent. So, which, by the way, maybe you mentioned it and I just totally missed it. Where was this uh, branding political move thing at? That was in Spain. Okay. Okay. Yep. Would you describe Spain as a pretty uh, traditional type place yeah. or? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's still very much. Um, it's, it, it's moving forward. I think it's breaking down a lot of barriers, but it's still very much like traditional in every sense of the word in terms right. of um sort of relationships like domestic relationships or um you know gender equality in the, in the workplace there's still a lot of work to be done sure um that being said it, it is it is far more than sometimes you would see in latin america in certain countries right. they are sort of pushing pushing boundaries a little bit more and it's very much they're cognizant of those things so they're, they're definitely working towards it um but again they're always sort of a, little, a step, couple steps behind. And I think you could see that, and this is more politics, but you could see that, um, for example, with the branding of the Obama administration, of what that was like and sort of how they were utilizing social and digital spaces. 
versus what they were thinking of doing here. And right at that point in time, it was like, oh, if they can do it, we should be doing it too. Right. But then you step back and you're like, well, we're culturally not there yet. We're not really, people are not so receptive as they are in the U.S. And that's where that mentality comes in of like understanding, oh, wait, our audience is different. We can't just be where everybody else is at the same time. Right. So That's that's fair. Well, that doesn't really bother me. I, uh, I don't think um, everything that comes out of being progressive is worth uh, duplicating. <laughs> so the, right. some, for, some for sure are. Like, obviously, workplace equality is, is huge. But right. just, just because America does it doesn't mean it should be copied <laughs> anywhere right. else. No, and I think, and I <laughs> so. think it goes exactly no one. And I, I think that that's sort of like the takeaway for me with what I do is that you cannot sort of silo yourself or, or constrict yourself and only think about things from one perspective. Mm-hmm. You just can't do it. If you want to be successful and you want to push boundaries and you want to stand out or really understand how to sort of differentiate yourself and your brand, you have to understand that there's other people and other ways of approaching things. Yeah. Like there's other perspectives, other ways of, of tackling the same issue or the same problem. And I think once you understand that, you're opening yourself up to far more creative, creative solutions. And, you know, you can successfully sort of figure out how to reach your audience in ways that you probably didn't think of before. Right. So I, I definitely think that that's probably the biggest thing for me is like working with multiple clients. It's the idea that you can't sort of just look at things through one lens. That's fair. Yeah. No. And you're the the best person to talk about that because you've been, <laughs> uh, you've been a, a great deal, many places and I'm like an uncultured swine over here. You know, like I've driven down to Mexico once, but, uh, you know, the U S is, uh, and actually to my defense though, the U S is like you said, a melting pot. So we do get exposed to a lot more, uh, than yeah. people in other countries. Uh, it's just Absolutely. when we think that everything in this country is how it works everywhere else is where I think the U.S. gets a little off base. <laughs> so, right. so one question I had for you specifically, since yeah. you are so well educated, and I mean that both as a compliment and as <laughs> your perspective, right? Because part of our audience is going to be like CMOs or marketing directors, people who have formal degrees. Could you yeah. give me like two to three things that... um you have, especially since you're a consultant, right? So you, you, you're yeah. talking to a lot of different people. What mm-hmm. is something that people are overlooking in those spaces that they really need to be paying attention to, right? And so you're formally educated. So you're, yeah. you know, a lot about marketing and branding and visual communication. Um, what are people missing? The value that comes with thinking outside of that degree. I think a lot of the times people are so hung up on getting the formal education, right? And and this is speaking from my parents are probably going to listen to this and be like, ah, they're uh, they're educators, they're both professors. One of sure. them is the dean at a university, so I'm sure they're probably like, ah. um, but I feel like a degree isn't the end all be all, and it shouldn't be. You can learn so much just by by pushing that aside or putting that aside, sorry, pushing it, but putting that aside and, and just immersing yourself in whatever it is that you're doing. So learning on the job, I think is often overlooked. People mm. not being able to seek out or not wanting to seek out additional personal and professional development opportunities, I think is such a detriment to themselves and to sort of their growth. 
Um, just, and, and I feel like people often sort of wait until those opportunities are presented to them. So they expect their job to sort of, oh, like here's the conference or here's a tool or here's a webinar you can- They're not hungry. Your, right, You're, you have to take it upon yourself. You have to literally push yourself to want to do more or to want to learn more. Um, and without that drive, if you need a class, um, you know, to sit down to learn something, that's a problem. I think you should be able to sort of commit yourself to learning and, and to wanting to do or to wanting to explore new topics or um, to wanting to test new tools or experience new things. So I think a lot of the times it's almost like um, pushing that responsibility onto others. So it's mm -hmm. like, oh, well, the school didn't teach me this or my workplace isn't offering X, Y, and Z. And a lot of the times it's like, well, you have a computer, you have access to online courses or you have access to certification problems like certificates or whatever programs um you have access to other people right so it's, it's kind of like how we met on twitter it's like you have access to these tools that are right at your disposal where you can learn just just learn from others just sit yeah. back and sort of observe or take in <clears throat> what everybody else is sharing um and i feel like that's often overlooked the idea that you have access like right at your fingertips to to things that you didn't know existed. Right. Huh. So Maybe a good follow-up to that would be, yeah. because what I'm, what I'm trying to figure out is like, what are the holes, right? Like what, it, why, <laughs> you know, and so for me, the, the hole that I'm seeing, and, and you kind of answered it a little bit with that is, mm -hmm. why is it that these people who are educated, who are in the field, hire you? What is it? What is, yeah, what is it like your superpower that they're missing that you're filling in the gap for? I think it's outside perspective. Okay. I think a lot of the times when they're, they're been doing something and I think it's, it's an, it's an issue across the board, not just one specific industry or one specific field, but it's just the idea that when you've been doing something for so long, you're so fixated on how you've always done things. And it's like, you need somebody else to come on board from an outside perspective to offer new insight and to look at things objectively. I think sometimes when you're so in it and you're so committed and so involved, you sort of tend to, to baby your projects, right? You, you tend to sort of sugarcoat them and say like, oh, well, this is working because it's always been working or this is how we've always done things. So like, why rock the boat? And it's this idea of, okay, yeah, it's working, but something could work better. And so I think a lot of the times when people realize that there's sort of a, a value that is brought on by a different perspective or a different set of skill sets or a different um, tools, that's when they realize like, oh, wait, yeah, you know what? We could sort of adjust or we could pivot here or we could do this differently and see better results. Not that they weren't doing great before, but better. Sure. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, you, know, you got to have higher returns every year if you're a public business. So you got to keep climbing. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So obviously you got to help, help have sometimes someone help you find that next step or that next rung of the ladder to climb up. Um, how do you position yourself as the answer to that, that problem? That's a good question. I think so. For me, obviously coming from personal branding, I feel like that's sort of what, what you do, right? So right. figuring out how you can position yourself and the value that you bring in a way that is attractive to others. So it's building thought leadership, 
being active in the space, um, creating community, I think is absolutely important. Um, being that sort of point of reference for people of like, oh, well, we've worked with so-and-so and this person has sort of seen this result or whatever. Once you start building that community or that group around you, it's almost like they can advocate on your behalf of sure. the value that you bring. Um, and I think that that's sort of, you know, positioning yourself as, okay, well, here is what I bring. These are my perspectives. This is my experience. This is sort of the past, you know, things that I've done and uh, projects that I've worked on and sort of they can extrapolate the value from that and see like, oh, well, she's done X, Y, and Z, or this is sort of what she brings and then pulling that into space. But I also think it's just about building community and building trust. I think once you sort of are consistent in what you do and how you do it, people start associating your brand with that. That's so. fair. No, I think that's good. And, and, uh, you, you know, we, like you said, we connected on Twitter. So showing up is kind of half the battle <laughs> because is, otherwise we is. wouldn't have been able to connect because you wouldn't it's have been true. posting or talking. And, and I don't even think I searched out your profile. I think I just saw you having conversations with other people who were talking about marketing <laughs> and it just, just happened. Right. And so yeah. there's uh, a beauty in that. And I've actually, I shot a video recently about how surprised I was on Twitter and aligning your brand with a platform that makes the most sense for it, that like fits the personality of the brand and since you know me as a me as a business owner i it's kind of an extension of myself and so the fact that twitter was so conversational and kind of casual and uh sharing and and sharing and caring Mm. but uh (laughs) i know right so corny but anyways (laughs) (laughs) uh but you know for me that was like so that's so much more me than LinkedIn is, even though right. my clientele is totally on LinkedIn and I can be professional. Right. But for me, Twitter was just much better fit, right? And so to me, that was right. really surprising because I was digging my heels in forever on Twitter because I was like, it's old, like lots no. of people don't like it, blah, blah, blah. But then the, there I was having a good time. So yeah, and then right? we met because of that and that's awesome. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, fun fact, my father had to convince me to join Twitter. Really? He was on Twitter far before I was, like no years, way. years, years, years. Yeah. And uh, my stepmom was too. And they were the ones that were like, you need to go on. Like, just just go on and try it. Like, it's somewhere for you to build, you know, sort of your presence or like in, and your, your work and like show off what you do, whatever. And I was like, yeah, okay, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, and then I joined and like, sure enough, like slowly, I started to fall in love with it of the idea of like building friendships and getting to know people and, and sort of, you know, learning as I went along and it was really cool, but it took me a while. Right. <laughs> I was hesitant at first. Well, I mean, I, I'd used it back when I was in high school. Um, uh, some friends of mine, we were using that as like a group messaging because all we had is text. Cause you could text Twitter and then at right. people. And then so that we were like using that as like a ghetto group texting, like back when I had a flip phone. And so like that was my history with Twitter until like, you know, four months ago. So anyways, it's weird how you come back to things or whatever else. Right. I don't know. It's it's crazy to think how much it's changed too. Yeah. It's like perfect example, like cyclical to what we talked about at the beginning. It's like you're using the platforms, even you yourself are using the platform. It changes on you. Like the way you 100%. use it, the way it's crazy. It's really crazy. <laughs> so thank you so much for jumping on. And uh, uh, really though, thank you. And 
if you could just share um, a couple places that you are online, uh, we'll obviously drop links to your social platforms, your website and stuff like that in the description or however it gets shared on whatever platform we're on. Because, uh, you know, this will be audio podcast as well. So, yeah, just tell us where we can find you online to connect with you. Sure. So you can find me, obviously, over on Twitter at Cardoza the Gab. My website is also cardozagab.com. Uh, Instagram, Cardoza Gab. Cool. Awesome. Um, well, uh, thank you.